This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, pusher of buttons and maker of beep and ping noises. Uh, that's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> to try to describe what you do as an engineer, Sam, and it's just it's just not possible. Are, are you making those up on the fly? I do make those up on the fly. I don't <laughs> give them any thought in advance. In the studio with me is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kasten-Smith. And today we have come to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. This is part of our series of podcasts that are going along with the uh, series of messages right now at Rio Vista Church, One Body, One Mission. Uh, and as our pastor, Tom Hendricks, said last week in the, in the message, he said there are things that are, are going to be covered in the podcast that he's not going to get to in the sermon and vice versa. There's things he talks about in the sermon that um, we're not going to have time to do at the podcast. So I feel like people should understand that, that really what we're trying to do is, is between the podcast and the messages that they would have the best and the most full understanding of what Paul's writing here in Ephesians and what God's communicating to them. Sam, Ephesians chapter two is, um, it's probably one of the, I, I would say it's probably the, the chapter that's maybe best known in, in the book of Ephesians because it has a couple of these like really keystone verses. Wow, you were dead. He made you alive for my grace. You've been saved. So it's got some verses that you see, uh, you know, printed in gold on a lot of the front of a lot of Bibles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think that chapter four has the one also, you know, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. There's a few of these really like landmark verses that get quoted a lot. So I think people are going to hear familiar things as we talk about chapter two. But I also think that, um, if you try to distill it down to just one or two verses, you're really not getting the full impact here of what Paul's writing about in chapter two. There are some really strong connections between this and what we did previously in chapter one. That's right. uh, um, that was something that, that um, when I was looking at your notes on this, you brought out. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? What the, how do you see the connections between what we're starting with in chapter two and what we have in chapter one? Yeah, well, you can't jump into chapter two without really understanding one. I mean, the, the, the chapter two begins with the word and. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it's kind of building on what we've already seen in chapter one. And if I have to kind of distill chapter one or just kind of reframe what we've already talked about, the main idea of chapter one is God has a plan that he has had in his heart, eternal past, right? right? The eternal plan of right. God that he is excited to talk about to, to lay or to, excited to lay out in history. Sure. And, and so what does that involve? It involves, um, he's excited to adopt us as his children. He's excited to make us holy and blameless. He's excited to, uh, before the foundations of the world to choose us as his own. Mm -hmm. And how does he go about that by the shedding of blood? So in the eternal plan of God, he sheds blood for forgiveness, which means before you've even committed your sin in Christ, you're forgiven. You know, before you were born, all of you was covered because you've been chosen in him. Right. You're redeemed in him. And so chapter one, you see this pattern of in him you're chosen, in him you're adopted, in him you receive blessings, in him you have an inheritance. And it, so it just sets up this this unbelievably wonderful picture of the gospel that just shows us that it's all of him that God has this incredible plan, mm -hmm. that God is doing all these things at, at cost 
to himself. And we are the recipients of incredible blessings. And then it closes by saying, and what you do, your role in this, is to hope, to hear the gospel, and to believe. Mm-hmm. And then the Spirit seals your salvation and takes care of the rest. And so it, it's God's plan. He is doing all of it. And so then when you, you get to chapter 2, and it starts, and <laughs> he, he's, he's about to tell us what we have to do in this. And you. <laughs> yeah. I like the New International Version, which is a... Yeah, it's it's one of those phrase by phrase type things. Yeah. So it doesn't. It's not the literal like he's like Paul wrote. The word he used just means and. <laughs> yeah, right. But but the New International Version trying to give it some flavor. I think opens up with and as for you, it's like <laughs> I, somehow I picture it being sort of Shakespearean yeah. like that. And as for you, Paul turns and he looks over his reading glasses at me. You know, it's like <laughs> uh, so. It's, yeah. So chapter one, you've got God, and he it's just so glorious, right? Like he's doing everything, and it's so beautiful. And like you said, chapter two is kind of him putting the newspaper down, lowering his glasses, <laughs> looking. <laughs> and as for you. Yes. You know, it's so things are about to turn, and it's kind of like, you know, we're about to be humbled. What we bring to the table, God is about to humble us. Mm-hmm. And then I also think that, um, you know, from my perspective, when I was kind of creating my outline of it, and I was looking at this, I saw, and I think you did the same thing, because folks, you have to understand, in order to do this, both Sam and I work on notes for this, and then we're both sitting here looking at each other's notes side by side on, on our computers while we're talking, so it's like going back and forth between what did I notice and what did he notice, but one of the things that um, that we both had was an outline for the, the passage that we're going to be talking about today, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and both of us broke out the same yeah. Outline. We had three sections. We had verses one through three, which is the and you, and then verses four through seven, but God, and then verses eight through ten, for by grace. You know, and so the chapter, this part of the chapter, not even the whole chapter, but this first thing, which by the way, I did the I did a little homework on this. Once again, one sentence in the Greek. One (laughs) sentence. We talked about that last time. How he is a whole, man of commas. He's a man. He does not like commas. He just goes. No, right he doesn't like periods. But he, he does like punctuation in general. Yeah. <laughs> it's all just one big run-on sentence in the Greek, and and I I think if anything that that uh, should communicate to everybody that this is one continuous thought. Yeah, we're breaking it down into three sections here. And you, but yeah. God, for by grace, but which to understand that the and you is you really need a savior. Yes, and you don't deserve one. Right. And then the next section is, but God is so amazing. He's right. so good that he comes to rescue you. And then that 8 through 10. Is how does that rescue take grace. place? Yeah. And it's, it it's not what you do. Right. So let's get into that a little bit then. Um, verse 1 opens up with, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You know, there's a couple of notes that I made about this when I was looking at it. The idea of... Uh, the trespasses and and let me just I, I hate boy I just I keep picking on the poor ESV but it's the the phrase the word where they have translated it the the trespasses it's much more personal than that it's actually you were dead in your trespasses and sins and so um, and then that the word trespasses maybe doesn't mean a whole lot to people and I wanted to clarify on that the the word that's being used there is peripatoma which is a Greek word that refers to a general state of being fallen. Adam did what he did back in Genesis, and we've inherited that fallen nature from him. So even if you're somebody that says, hey, guys, I just, I, 
I wouldn't call myself a sinner. Yeah. But I mean, even that word, you know, it's interesting that they translate that trespasses because apart from the Lord's prayer and if you're Catholic (laughs) or Lutheran, you never, you you don't use that word, You wouldn't. but it's actually pretty interesting because if you're trespassing, what does it mean? It means you're somewhere you don't belong somewhere you don't belong. Yeah. So God who's purposed you and given you, he's, he has a design for what you're supposed to be eternally. That's interesting. You're trespassing. You're somewhere you don't belong. That's interesting. Because it's someplace that you are legitimately mm-hmm. and, and, and judicially, meaning that we've been, you know, we, we are fallen. We're all born with a fallen nature. And yet, you're, it's a good point. It's we don't belong there. Yeah. And then sins is uh, hamartia, which is our hamartia. I can't roll my R's. I'm sorry. It's hamartia. Uh, Hamartia, whatever. Just it's stay a, there for a couple of seconds. Uh, no, I'm not going to stay there for a couple of seconds. But it, and that's the classic word for sin that means an act of wrongdoing, and it means to miss the mark. It's just that's the. It refers to something that's more active. So if you're kind of confused about that, hey, what's this trespasses and sins thing? One is more passive; it's your fallen state, and the other is uh, things that you do wrong. But this all goes back yeah. to the garden. Yeah, that's right. And and in the garden. You know, God is going to, he gives them a warning at the very beginning. He says, you know, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he adds, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And you think, well, they didn't die. Mm -hmm. So what was that about? But in the sense that God's talking about, they absolutely did die. And and the way that I would illustrate this, and it's the same sense in which Paul is talking. He's he's not talking to a bunch of people who are literally dead with no pulse. Obviously, yeah, they're <laughs> physically alive. But the idea is, the moment that you're uprooted from being in God's design, mm-hmm. you're spiritually dead. So suppose on the way home today, I stop by a rose garden and I and I pick some roses for my wife. You'd probably irritate the owner of the rose garden, well, but that's let, okay. For the sake of conversation, let's we pretend understand. like I own the rose. There garden. There you go. You went into your rose garden and you cut some lovely flowers for I'm your wife. Trespassing, anyway. Yes. So so anyway, I take these roses and I, and I go home and I put them in a vase and I present them to my wife. And they're gonna they're gonna be really lovely for maybe a week or so, but they're gonna die. They Why? look they look like they're alive, and, yep, but they're not. Absolutely, they look like they're alive, but for all intents and purposes, they're dead. they're, they're dead. Yeah. They can't. They're not taking in nourishment. They're not in the ground. They're not where they're designed to be to right. be a, to, to be alive. They're trespassing in a vase. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> don't right. belong they, there. They don't. And so they're going to die. And and the idea is, at the fall, we were uprooted. Mm-hmm. We're no longer connected to that which gives us life spiritually and ultimately physically. And so the death process is already underway. It's like Jesus when he's talking in, in John 15 when he says, I am the vine, right? One of the things that he says in that passage is, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. In other words, if you if you take that and rip up the roots and take it away from its life source, it's dead. It's not going to produce what it's supposed to produce. It is dead. Mm. I like it. Uh, I saw something that you put in your notes here that I liked, which are uh, the traits of a spiritually dead person. They can't process nourishment of the word. They don't. They don't. They don't get the That's bread. Right. And then also they don't breathe the word, which is the word for spirit. They don't. They, you know, spirit is breath. Pneuma, breath. It's yeah. it, so we use the word respiration. Respiration. Spirit yeah. is in there. So they don't. They they don't have that. They're going to lose the beauty and color. They the rigor mortis. A corpse stiffens. They begin to disintegrate. Um, they have. They don't respond to spiritual stimuli. They don't hear. Their eyes don't see. So this 
you know, what this is opening up with, Paul is saying, in contrast to God's wonderful plan for you, God's, you know, God has made this provision for you since before he even flung the galaxies into place. I like how you put that. Mm-hmm. Before he flung the first galaxies out, he had this plan for you. He had you in his mind. And he's, he's, he's adopted you in his mind. He, he's blessed you. This is all, all these things are things that are in him that have already happened or will happen that are guaranteed to happen. All of this. And then Paul turns to us and he goes, and you, yeah. you were dead. So we are completely and utterly without hope apart from God. In God, we would have everything. Apart from him, that's what we're looking at here in chapter two. Apart from God, here you go. Yes. You're dead. And so by putting it with such extreme language that you are spiritually dead, you're dead, it puts the entire onus of salvation on God. Because a dead person doesn't stand up and go, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to. No, you're dead. You don't even have, you don't have ears to hear. You don't have eyes to see. You don't have a heart that desires. You are dead spiritually. Right. And he has to come and raise you up. Isn't that, it has something to do in my mind with the, the sort of arrogance that we as human beings always have. We don't want to believe that we're not the one that's in charge here mm-hmm. when it comes to anything. I don't care. But in this case, we're talking about our standing with God and our eternal salvation. We want to believe that that it's kind of like a sports agent, that God is standing here going, all right, all right. <clears throat> so if you come to play for my team, I'll get you this deal with Nike. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you the big locker room over here, and you get it. Say, look at this, man. You got a, I got a new car for you here. And, this, and just sign here on the dotted line and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And, and that we're supposed to be sitting back going, I don't know, God, could you sweeten the deal anymore for us? <laughs> There's that idea yeah. that, that we're supposed to be like, judging the value of the deal. Our intellect is making the decision. Yes. Yeah. I used to hear it. The Bible college that I went to, which was kind of an indie fundy Bible college, that's independent, fundamentalist, non-denominational, in case anybody's wondering what indie fundy is in the parlance. <laughs> But that I, the Bible college I went to, they used to have the phrase all the time. They would say, have the good sense to put your faith in Christ. Have the good sense, the good judgment to trust Christ as your Savior. And while I understand what they're saying, that's a call for people to respond to the gospel. I've got nothing against calls to respond to the gospel. On the other hand, I do have an issue with the phrase, have the good sense. Mm-hmm. Because the fact is that apart from God, we don't have any sense. We don't make any judgments. Yeah. We're just there. That's right. Spiritually speaking, there's nothing going on. Yeah, and the Bible makes that clear. So it's not just Paul. I mean, you go into the Old Testament, and, and it's repeatedly, they, they make the case, you know, there's, there's none righteous. There's none who does good. There's none who seek after God. And so at the fall, when, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit, and they rebelled against God, and they basically ripped their roots up and said, we're not going to find our life in you. We want to run it alone. Spiritual death came upon them. And from that point, God had designed them to have eyes and hearts that were fixed on him. Mm-hmm. And instead of being fixed on him, all of them, all of their their instincts, their desires, their will, everything took an inward bent, and it became all about me. Mm-hmm. That's true of me today. We fight that battle every day. Everybody knows that. You know, there's this inward bent where we want the world to revolve around us. We want to be in control. We want the throne. We want to be the hero. We want to be the one on top. And anything that challenges what we want drives us crazy. 
And that, when, when we talk about sin and trespasses, if we can just kind of, because I know some people are allergic to those words. Yeah. But everybody has that inward bend. That's, That's true. sin. Mm-hmm. That is sin. That's not where you're supposed to be. God calls us, when, when Jesus talks about the two greatest commandments, mm-hmm. it's to love God and to love others. The problem with humanity is that we are inwardly bent. Mm-hmm. We don't love God, and we love others when it benefits us. You have a note here about Pelagius. Um, Pelagius was a Greek philosopher? Pelagius. Pelagius? So he's, a, he's actually a, a monk. Okay. <laughs> so way to go, church. <laughs> so Pelagius is a monk who comes along, and, and he begins to teach. Now, this is back in 4th, 5th century or so, early church. And he begins to say, hey, you know what? Man is okay. He can choose to do good. You know, Jesus kind of took care of the original sin stuff or whatever. He didn't really believe in that. He mm-hmm. didn't believe man was born corrupt. He didn't believe man was dead in sin. It's kind of like man had a, a cold in sin or something. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like when the weather turns cold and the iguanas get stunned and fall from the trees, <laughs> yeah. but they're not really dead. We just went through this down here in Florida, guys. This actually made the national news because the National Weather Service said, watch out for falling iguanas. So that's what we're saying here. Man, see by people his, on social media marking themselves safe, safe from, from falling, falling iguanas. <laughs> so what, you're say, what he's saying is that, that that's how man was. It's like our sin, just kind of, we were sort of yeah. stunned, but we're not really yeah. dead. Our phasers are turned to, oh, to stun. stun. Okay. Yeah, right. So. But, but, so Augustine comes along, who probably, you know, after Jesus and Paul and the New Testament era is probably the most brilliant theologian. Mm-hmm. Everybody celebrates Augustine. And he comes along and says, are you kidding me? And he writes treatises, tomes on how you are absolutely dead, that the only reason why you are saved, that you have salvation, is purely by God's grace. Even the faith that you have in Christ is a gift from God, that he is the one who calls you, he's the one who sanctifies you, he's the one who justifies you, he's the one who adopts you. Everything is found in him. And right during that time, Pelagius, who was saying, well, you know, really, we're not all that bad, and we can choose. And (laughs) It it was declared heresy in the early church. And today I'd say that's where most of the American church is. We're really good. You know, there's not that much difference between us and God. And, you know, he's lucky to have us. That's kind of the attitude that we have. We don't understand how damaged we are spiritually and how corrupted we are by this self-centered problem. So verse one tells us we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And then verse two says, in which you once walked, talking about your trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is just another way of of talking about Satan. Satan. Yeah. The following. And then it says the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And I had a note to myself here uh, about once again, picking on the ESV. Um, that word that they yep. put in as following is the same word that's used in chapter one for according, according to, to. Yeah. kata. Uh, yeah, kata. And and it and the problem I have with it is if if you say that um, I'm following somebody, then somebody else is like actively leading me astray, and yeah. and and you, we use that as kind of a cop out. Like yeah. I We're wasn't indirectly responsible. Yeah, I mean, I was just following him. I wasn't doing. I just I am yeah. that kind of thing. There's a certain protestation of innocence going on here but in my mind i see that i see that according to being 
indicating sort of a willing participation. It's like, okay, so uh, yeah, you know, I understand that this is the way things go, and I'm choosing to go that way. That's right. You know, and, and in between, one of the things that we don't pick up in, in the English language, and especially if the translators don't help us along, between chapter one and chapter two, Paul is very, very deliberately using language that's making your mind think back. Yeah. So, you know, in, the, in chapter one, how many times is it in Christ you have this? In, in him, in him, in Christ, in him, in him. And then so chapter two begins, in your sins and trespasses. Yes. Now you're dead. Right. In them. You're alive in Christ, you're dead in them. But then it goes on and it gets into kata, which is according to. And so you're, you're acting according to the course of this world. You're acting according to the prince of the power of the ear. Um, but if you go to chapter one, all the wonderful things that God is doing, you're been, you've been given redemption and forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. You've been adopted as sons according to the good pleasure of his will. You receive an inheritance according to his purpose of his will. You're raised and seated in heavenly places according to the power of his might. So all the according to's that you find that word kata in chapter one are just all pointing to how amazing and wonderful God is. Right, his kata yes. is amazing. Your kata, not so not much. So, not so amazing. <laughs> not so much. And by the way, in chapter one, there's another one there where in this verse it talks about how um, it's at, all these uh, evil desires and impulses are at work in the sons of disobedience. Mm-hmm. That's in contrast to chapter one because what's what's the good pleasure of God? That's right from the beginning. The good pleasure is to adopt you as sons. Right. But if you act according to your own selfish impulse and in your death, your spiritual death, you are not an adopted son of God. You're a son of disobedience. Right. So in all of these, he's contrasting not only what's in this passage, but he's making you think, okay, everything I read in chapter one is amazing. It's awesome. It's glorious. It's what he's doing. But all that same verbiage, then when it's talking about my plan, my will, what I'm about, it's not good. It's not good, and it's going to bring pain and destruction into my life. And we find ourselves in this situation, it says, following the course of this world. What does that mean, according to the course of this world? And I think that it means the natural way that the world goes, the natural way that we are. And this fallen world, that inward bent. If you follow that... And so even when people say, hey, look, I'm not a Satanist, right? I'm not, I'm not like worshiping Satan. I'm just like not into this whole Jesus thing. Like, okay, but following the natural course of this world is still something that turns you into your, on yourself. You're looking within yourself instead of looking outward for God. And that is the design of, frankly, that's the design that Satan has. Satan yeah. wants you to become self-reliant and, and absorbed and, with yourself rather than looking for God. You know, and we all know this, you know, and intellectually, we might look at that and say, ah, I've got some problems with that. Yeah. But Augustine, again, who's one of my very favorite theologians, says that, you know, in this fallen world and the way that things are with that inward bent, that our hearts will be restless. But he says they will be restless until they find their rest in him. Let me explain what I mean by that. So it gets back to that whole idea of Ephesians 1. You have... You have a design that God has made us for. Uh, That's your entire purpose. And if you're living outside of his design, you're going to feel the frustrations of of walking through a world that's not in accord with your reign, you know, because God is on the throne. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Which makes me think of, of what it says here in verse 3, where it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And, you know, Sam, when I was looking at that, I, the, the first thing that occurred to me is that uh, the passions and desires being blo- both plural, you know, that apart from Christ, what we are is a big bag of multiple lustful impulses. Like what you were saying, we'll never find peace. You know, it's just this constant restlessness that Augustine was talking about. And and it's because we're literally all over the place. People I know who are not believers, who just don't do the whole Jesus thing, as they would put it, even if they're not, you know, even if they're not bad, it's like their lives are just chaos. They're, they're mm-hmm. chasing, they're chasing after one thing and another. They're looking for meaning and they're looking for peace and they're looking for whatever it is they're looking for, but they're looking here today and there tomorrow and somewhere yeah. else next week. And, mm-hmm. and to me, it's like, that's what this verse is talking about. Passions and desires, plural. It's, we're all over the place, but in Christ, we have a unified purpose, a single purpose. It brings yeah. us peace because it's no longer about what feeds our appetite for the moment. Yep. And, and that line where it, ta- it says carry out the desires of, of body and the mind, the, the word that's behind that desires is thelemata, and that literally means will. And so imagine this. In chapter one, you've got God who's laying out one mind's will. Right. One heart's will. His will. His will that is blanketed over all of humanity. That, that It's the central one. It, it's this beautiful one that if we would just get in a, a chord with, it'd be really beautiful. But instead, we got seven billion plus people on the planet. Who each has all, their own will. Each one has the, their own will of their body and their mind that next to God is so puny. And so if you have seven billion people that are trying to impose their will, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get wars and factions and disunity, and you're going to get a lot of people that want the world to revolve around them. And mm. what God is saying is, no, 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 no. My will is the beautiful one. And you know what God says? Our will is, I want the world to revolve around me. It's all selfish. But when God lays out his will, the one who actually owns the throne, <laughs> when, he, when he lays out his will, it's all selfless. Right. You know, he talks about pouring out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We're right. the aggressors that he forgives. He gives us adoption. He gives us blessings. It's, it's all selfless. It's, it's totally different. Yeah. So, and that brings us down to verse four, which is, you know, we find ourselves here at the end of verse three, dead, enslaved, objects of wrath, walking with the disobedience and under Satan's dominion. And that's the position we find ourselves in. That's a pretty good list. That's a pretty good list. (laughs) When we get to verse four, that says my two favorite words in scripture, but God, Mm -hmm. someone is coming to the rescue here, you know, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I mean, that is that, that right there. That's your hero statement. Yeah. <laughs> and you, but God. Yeah. And it's like thinking back on that previous verse, the will of our hearts and minds. And then it's, it's like, hey, here's the reminder. This is God's will. This is his heart. His, his heart is filled with a great love with which he's loved you so much so that he will not let you continue down that path of destruction. He has come to rescue you even as you're in open rebellion against him. 
He's coming to give you mercy. And that's uh, and that is laid out in verse five, where it says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about that, like, okay, so if we're spiritually dead, then spiritually speaking, we are a corpse. You know, what does a corpse do? A corpse does nothing. <laughs> what do we do with corpses? Well. If it's, we're talking about what man does, man buries or burns a corpse. God raises it. You know, that's, yeah. it's like the, it's like the absolute opposite that God in his, you know, in his rich mercy, because of his great love, he's going to take this corpse and he's going to raise it. Um, there's a, you know, we were talking earlier about the, you know, it's not us having the good sense. It's not man as a free agent evaluating the offer God's got on the table. I always heard this illustration of people talking about, you know, that uh, they would use the expression trying to explain this whole process. They would say, it's like you're in jail, you're being held in jail, and God has come through and unlocked all the jail cells. Jesus died on the cross, paid for your sins, and God has unlocked all the jail cells. All the doors are open. You just have to have the faith to walk through them. And my response to that is, just opening a jail cell door doesn't free anyone when it's a dead body inside. Yeah, that's right. It's what's inside the jail cell is a corpse. And so, yeah, you can unlock the door yeah. any way you'd like. Yeah. But Jesus, nobody's walking out. Yeah, Jesus has unlocked all the morgue doors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not going to make much of a difference. None of those little, you know, those little things you see on the, yeah, the CI, CSI where trays, they slide out. Yeah. yeah, those are all unlocked. <laughs> Any of those trays can be slid out. The Come thing on, is, guys, we've unlocked the doors. Yeah, Come on, it's not going to happen. If it does, it's going to be a different kind of movie. Um, <laughs> I tell a lot of my friends that have that that. Uh, so I guess we would say, if you're going to use a theological term, it's an Arminian philosophy toward salvation, the sense that man is some kind of a, of a spiritual free agent, that he's able to choose God or not as he pleases, as he, man, pleases to choose God or not. I would say to them, look, it's not that I don't believe that you're saved. I think you are. I just don't believe you know how you got that <laughs> That's way. Right, That's right. You know, there's, there's your, that, by the way, that is what Reformed people call a sense of humor. Yeah. So you had some notes in here about uh, Ephesians 2.5 and this idea of um, that his great love and power combined to enable us to share in Christ's reality. Yeah, that's right. And and this is also again no accident. If you look at the the end of chapter 1. Right. And when it's when it's exclaiming the power of Christ and and what he has done, at the end of chapter 1 it says the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And so it's it's lifting up Christ with this incredible power that he is, you know, he conquered death and he has been raised and he is seated now. And then you get to chapter two and the way that it's described what he's doing with us. Listen, listen to this. It says that we, because of God, right? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, right? The next mm-hmm. one, um, he made us alive. He raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So in chapter one, it says, look what Jesus did. He conquered death. He was made alive. He was raised up and seated. And then chapter two says, you rebelled, right? You're, you're this mess. And then it gets to the but God. Right. And then it's saying all those actions that Jesus did, he did not do by himself. Mm. That when he conquered death, 
he conquered your death. That when he was made alive, you were made alive. At that moment, past tense, 2,000 years ago, Mark was made alive right. when he conquered the death. He was seated at the he- in the heavenly places, and this is saying you have been seated with him. You are seated with him in the heavenly realms, past tense. That means, and this is kind of mind-boggling, that right now in heaven, in the courts of God's authority, there is a chair with Mark Lautenschlager's name on it. It's got a big nameplate. It's a, lot, it's a long <laughs> yeah, nameplate. German nameplate. Like Kasten Schmitz. German no, nameplate. God's up there going, <laughs> Germans. Okay. <laughs> this is an aside that may not make it in, but if it does, folks, enjoy this humor. I, my Logos Bible software, I click on the thing. I like to read the passage in multiple translations to look for differences and to figure out why they're there, okay? So I click the comparative button, and it lays out the Bibles that I like, okay? And there's a lot of them. I look at a lot of different translations. And <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle of the list. And my wife laughed at this last night when I pointed this out. I don't know why this is here. It has the 1565 Luther German version translation of the Bible. And I'm like, it's like, I'm like, I don't even read German. I'm like, is it just the fact that somebody at Logos looks at my last name and goes, well, give him the Luther translation yeah. when he asks for a compar- comparative. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, the Germanic. Folks, I got to tell you, the difference between pastor's notes and host's notes is that when we got to verse five and six there, uh, in Sam's notes, he's got like a full page on my screen. I had one sentence. <laughs> Not just restored to life, but raised with Christ and seated with Christ. We went from zero to hero. That was my, that was my note. That that's right. That's all I had that's, to say about good. it. It's like you you had all these, you know, you, you have, have the, an editor gift. Yeah, you I, have I don't like have three, you have like three different Greek words and a bunch of prefixes but, and all so that, stuff. But that is interesting. And those Greek words, every single one of those Greek words begins with three letters, S-Y-N, syn, we think of synonym or whatever. Right, synonym. It, it, it means with. And so what it's saying is literally when he did those things, he didn't do them alone. When he conquered the grave. You right. conquered the grave with him. When he was made alive, we were made you alive. Were made alive. When you were made alive. When he was seated, you were seated in the heavenly places, which means, which is kind of wild, that right now you have all the authority of reigning with Christ right now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. And what that means, it's, it's what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are taking... That, that reigning authority of being seated with him in the church, right? right. Vested in the church, right. his body that has the fullness of him as it ends in Ephesians 1. The fullness, fullness of, of Christ is in the church. Fills all in all, it says. And yeah. so now the church is operating as him with his authority because we are seated with him, reigning in heaven, and now we're seeking to bring that beautiful design that Ephesians 1 captured. Right. We're bringing it down to bring it to the masses. Which apparently I have condensed into the sentence, we went from zero to hero. Yeah, it's zero to, zero to hero zero works. Zero. So, Makes me think of daytime TV, though. There you go. I feel like they're chanting in the audience. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you think of infomercials or something like that. But uh, So that in the coming ages, this is verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And again, the uh, the Caston Smith notes are a little bit more extensive, but... <laughs> My my note here, we really should give people both of our notes just so they can see the difference between how a pastor finds things and how a guy finds things. It's just, you know, he, just some guy. It, my note was, here's the clincher. Why did he do this for us? Because that's the question I think that people mm-hmm. ask. It's like, I don't understand the why. Well, here's the why. 
so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, folks, it's really not about us. God did what he did for us to bring glory to himself. That's the bottom line here is that our salvation wouldn't be nearly as glorious if it was all dependent on us. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be nearly so glorious if it was even dependent on us being smart enough to choose God. Even if it doesn't depend on what we do, but just the choices we make, it still wouldn't be as glorious right. as it is in this case. And that's what he's saying. In the coming ages, he wants to show just how immeasurable his grace is and his kindness toward us is. All of this, in the end, is going to show everyone how good and glorious God is. Yeah, when I think of that, so in the coming ages, or as chapter one called it, the fullness of time, when right. when everything comes together to the climax and we dwell with him forever, like, this is what it's all about. He's so excited about showing the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Yeah. Like, again, it's kind of this selfless idea. And I, re- I remember until fairly recently, um, when I used to think about heaven, especially before I, I came to know Christ, when I used to think about heaven, I was so bored with the thought of it. Um, because in my mind, what I imagine, you know, the fat, chubby angels cloud, floating on playing clouds, playing blue, harps, yeah, okay. and, and and our job was just to sit around and, and sing, which back then didn't sound very, very good. Now it's not, it's not so bad. But that's so not such a bad deal, yeah. Yeah, now it's not such a bad deal, but... That's not at all what it is. You know, when it describes you getting to heaven, the first thing, and in the Old Testament too, but in Revelation again, the first action is God getting up off of his throne and coming and wiping every tear from your eye. Right. Like, think about that. Yeah. Like, I, I used to think that you get to heaven and you just sit around and you go, oh, God, you're so great forever and ever. But in, in heaven, he's still humble. Mm-hmm. He's still selfless. He still comes and loves and gives of himself, and he's going to pour his attributes into you forever, and it excites the heart of God to do so. It's like he's, he's, he's imagining Sam and Mark showing up into heaven, and, and in his mind, I imagine this. You know, So this is Sam's imagination <laughs> trying to jump into the mind of God, <laughs> where, where God is looking at Sam and Mark, and he's like, Oh my gosh, look at how amazed they are by my love. They haven't even experienced even an infinitesimal fraction of it. Just wait until they see how much more of this right. infinity. They're going to be so blown away. I can't wait to see their faces and how overjoyed they are in the peace and all the other attributes that I get to pour into them forever. Man, I can't wait to see their faces and how much they delight. That's the heart of God. Yeah. That brings us to verse 8, which is the third sort of section that we have here in chapter 1. And remember, we're just doing the first 10 verses of chapter 1. There's more of chapter 2, rather, chapter 2 to come. One sentence. One sentence. (laughs) But this brings us to the last bit of that first sentence in chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And this is something that, you know, people are saying, oh, I'm saved by my faith in God you're saved through faith. You're saved by grace. Mm -hmm. Faith is the conduit, but God's grace is the saving agent. Paul makes it clear here. It's not your doing. God gives grace, which brings faith. And, you know, we are, uh, we're, we're creedal and confessional. There we go. Um, And one of those is the Westminster confession. And I have to tell you, 
my fi- chapter 10 of the Westminster Confession, which is, which is titled Of Effectual Call It, I'm only going to read the first paragraph, and I promise it won't make any sense to you. But if you stop and think about it, there's some really beautiful things here. It's well, <laughs> That's it, what we're here for, okay, to not was, make sense okay, to you. <laughs> but it was written in 1646. Let's be honest with you. This was written 30 years after the King James Bible was finished, so this is what we're going back to. But this is what the Westminster divines, these guys that were super smart that wrote this stuff out, and this is brilliant stuff. He says, they write, all those whom God has predestined unto life, that would be us. He's chosen us. And those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. And this is my this is the phrase I want you to remember, because this is the one I always remember from this taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining to them that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. Now, there's a, that's a lot of King James mm-hmm. English that may, you know, when you're trying to follow that back and forth and around, but what, what spoke to me so much the first time I read that, and yes, I have read the Westminster Confession. <laughs> what spoke to me the most the first time I read that was this idea of taking away their heart of stone and giving to them a heart of flesh. To me, that is the best way to describe, what do you mean by he made us alive together with Christ? He made it possible for us to come in faith to him. It wasn't even possible. We were dead. We had a heart of stone and he gave us that beating heart that the natural response of that beating heart, that new life is to turn toward the one who gave it to us. Yeah. And the power of the spirit that enables us to do that is also enable gives us the power to take that inward bent and turn it out. And turn it outward. Start to where looking we to love someone God, else. Yeah. To where we put our hope in him, where we trust him with our future, where we rely on him, where we love others. And it's a battle. So it's not like, you know, you come to faith and all of a sudden all that is gone and there's no more stone and you're just the, the perfect human being. It's a daily battle yeah. that he calls you to crucify that old nature every day. Because yeah. every day I want to make it the same show again. <laughs> and every day I need the grace and the gift of God the the power of the spirit at work in me to crucify that inward bent yeah and to love him and trust him yeah. verse 9 says not as a res- not a result of works so that no one may boast and then you know the obvious question is why is it important that we not boast well the answer to that from my perspective is because the entire point of this great salvation is to bring glory to the gracious God and creator who gives it to us. Mm -hmm. And I I like it in your note, you point out again, this story has one hero. That's right. Yeah, I love this old statement, I think came out of the Puritan era where it says, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that that made it it necessary. I love that. It's 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 so true. true. Yes, it is so true. But... I wouldn't want to boast. You know, that's that gets back to that inward bent again. Yeah. You know, you know how freeing it is to say that my salvation is not reliant upon me. Mm. You know that that God loves me because he loves me. Yeah. He gives me this this grace, which I love the acronym there. It's uh, G R A C E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah. I 
where did my name show up in there? Nope, nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't have nowhere. I don't have any of those letters. It's, yeah. it's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, God's he riches is the hero. to Sam at Christ's expense made necessary by Sam. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. He, he's, he's paying the debt. He's yeah. paying the debt, you know. So yeah, it is and 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 that really is the bottom line here is that salvation from inception to completion from the beginning, from the very beginning, when we are dead in our trespasses and sins and God rescues us and makes us alive, to the very end where we stand before the, the eternal throne of God and the new heavens and the new earth and we're feasting together with him and we're having all of these amazing things, that entire process from one end to the other is entirely bringing glory to him. It's entirely about him. And, and all the intermediate stages are as well, every yeah. point along this path. But it begins, it doesn't begin with us and then suddenly becomes about God at the end. That's not how it works. It's about God at the beginning. It's about God at the end. Yeah. And it's about God all the way through in between. And and the amazing thing is is when you yield when I when I'm willing to take my hands off the wheel and say okay this is not about Sam this is not about Sam and God I surrender my life to you I want your will I want your design please carry that out in me the amazing thing is and and he says this throughout the scripture is that when you yield and you want all glory to go to him you know what he does hmm. by doing that it says that he will share his glory with you yeah that you become a partaker of his divine nature, yeah. that all the blessings that are found in this infinite God, when you yield to him, guess what he does? He delights, and then he turns around and shares them with you. Yeah, yeah. So when you don't try to seize them, he gives them to you. Let's finish with verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I made the note to myself here about prepared beforehand, as in before the foundations of the earth. Again, in eternity past, before he created the first star, God has always had a plan for making us new. And again, this brings glory to him. It goes back to, we talked about salt and light in a podcast some time ago, Matthew 5, verse chapter 5, verse 16, where where. Uh, Matthew's yep. writing, he says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Why? And give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what this is all about here. When people talk about verse 10, well, it says right there, we're supposed to do good works. Yes, we are. And if done correctly, mm-hmm. they bring glory to God. Yeah. If they bring they glory to God. They don't sit around you, and say, hey, great Sam, all glory yes. to Sam. That, uh-uh, you've, done it, you've done it wrong. <laughs> if people are giving you credit for the things that you do in the name of Jesus, you're doing them wrong. You're doing it wrong, <laughs> you know? Um, but it is, I love this idea that, uh, now you, you pointed out here too about uh, the, the Greek word behind workmanship. How do you, how do you pronounce that? Poema. Poema? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's where we get poem from. Right? That's where we get poem. Oh. So, so like, I love this because when, what Ephesians does is it takes such a high view of God's sovereignty. This idea that, you know, before the foundations of the world, God has this amazing story that he's looking to tell, that he's that sovereign, that he brings all of history into existence Mm -hmm. to come to pass according to his will, to tell the story that is on his heart. And when he talks about your role in this life, it says that we are his workmanship poem. We're his we poem. are yeah. his poem. And so it's like when you read Ephesians 1, you're like, man, what a master story. And then God looks at you when he's given you grace, when he's given you the gift of faith, and when he's called you to himself, he says, okay, now you are his poem. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And it's like, I just want it when I read that in light of everything else that he's already said, it does give me this desire to say, man, if I'm your poem, God, write a good one, you know, (laughs) write a good one. Let me be very, very submissive, eager ink to be on the page for your story that, and, and the eternal scheme of things don't let me get sidetracked by my will, <laughs> which is garbage. Make me a good poem for your glory. Mm-hmm. Well, and that brings us to the end of the first sentence from the uh, second <laughs> chapter of the book of Ephesians. Gosh. Once again, we'll be back with We're another like, sentence sometimes. <laughs> it's more like the third sentence this of Ephesians. This is the third after, sentence. After verse two. We're, we're, yes. We're the here. first two verses are intros, yes. but then we're on the third sentence. It this is, is crazy. It is the crazy. third. In terms of content, it's the third sentence. And so, yes, that brings us to the end of the, it, which is something that started off so gloomily with, as for you, and <laughs> we come down to hear this thing, this understanding that we are part of God's poem, God's is, great poem. Can you imagine Paul going going to his apprentice and saying, hey, I, I, would you mind editing this? It's only three sentences. <laughs> it's only three sentences long. <laughs> so, but like like all good interpreters here, we managed to break it down and make it far more complicated than it probably yeah, actually right, right. is. But we hope that, uh, that you found this to be a profitable exploration of the first 10 verses of chapter two, that uh, you're, you're not only keeping up with these podcasts, but you're also keeping up with the message series, One Body, One Mission, that's going on right now at Rio Vista Church. You can find those messages both in our smartphone app, which is available at an app store near you. Just search for Rio, R-I-O, Vista, V-I-S-T-A, Community Church. You can find our app. All the sermons are there, as well as these podcast messages. You can find them on our website. Also, same same deal. Go to the teaching menu. They're all there. Um, you can get this podcast. I'm not sure where you're getting it now, but if you're getting it now someplace and you're wondering, is it available elsewhere? You can get it from Apple Podcasts. You can get it from uh, Google Play. You can get it from Spotify. Wherever you get your podcast from you should be able to find the out of water podcast and hopefully you'll follow along with both these podcasts and the sermon series that's going on right now uh, we encourage you to keep up with both of those if you have questions if there's things that that either sam or i have said today that have really struck a chord with you and you're like i really want to hear their answer to this well we encourage you to send us an email the email address is out of water or just just all run together no spaces out of water i can't be bothered with spaces and punctuation me and paul no spaces no punctuation just out of water at rio rio vista church.com and we'll see you in the next sentence we hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly you can find out more about out of water catch up on past episodes and access show notes at our website rio vista church.com slash out of water